This podcast is a collaboration between Costard and Touchstone Productions and the Dads from the Crypt podcast. Hello, everybody. My name is Alan Katz. And I'm Gil Adler. And uh, we'd like to welcome you to another episode of the How Not to Make a Movie podcast. Today's episode is called Dirty Laundry. You know, if you really want to know what's happening on a film or TV set, the last people you should come talking to is Gil or me. We, we know fuck all about what is happening on a movie or TV set at any particular time. The people you really want to talk to are the pretties. Uh, hair and makeup and uh, wardrobe. Uh, Today's guest was our was one of our, our, our wardrobe people on, on Tales from the Crypt. Randall Thropp has a, a whole history unto himself. Right now he he he's in he works for Paramount. Paramount, he's been in charge of their their incredible wardrobe collection for 20 years. It is it is a dream job for someone like Randall, who who's in who's a movie lover and is also, you know, he's he's great at wardrobe. And just think, a lot of it just started because working on Tales from the Crypt with us. Oh, gosh, yes. Oh. And, he, and even before. I think, Alan, you knew him way before. We are going to talk about our, our history because I've known Randall 40 years. God, I'm 63, 40, yeah, uh, 40 years. That's shocking. That's shocking. Hey, without, without any further ado. <laughs> that's how you make an entrance. That's how you make an entrance. So, uh... We were we were just saying that actually you and I have known each other. All right, it's got to be <laughs> 1979. Yeah, yeah, 1979. Uh, boy, I don't think I have enough fingers and toes. Easily 1979. Yep. You figured how, how many years that? that well, Jerry brought you. You guys were at Vassar, and Jerry brought you down to the house um, in Bronxville. Yeah, yeah. We, you, now yeah, I don't know what the event was, but there was just like it was a weekend, I guess. It was just well. I mean, I mean. All right. So uh, I went to Vassar, and uh, among my friends at Vassar was uh, a, a young woman named Allison Shooker. Now a woman, but and Allison lived in Bronxville, mm -hmm. and her family. She had a, a younger sister, Franny. Uh, her mom and her dad. Um, they also had someone who lived in, in this massive house atop a hill in Bronxville, New York. Yeah. Uh, Randall lived in the attic, but it was oh, a well, the attic. It was a third floor. It attic. Wasn't it was, attic. Uh, so don't make me sound like David Copperfield or something. No, or, 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 no <laughs> what, what's that? There's, there's a movie with, with, with David Attenborough, the, 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 the Bliss of Mrs. Blossom. Yeah, no, I was not living in the attic. I had yeah, a yeah, very yeah. large, very nice bedroom on oh. the it was massive. No, it, this was yeah. you, you could have you could have held an NFL game in that attic. Well, we had, I think that we had almost thirty rooms in the whole oh, uh, uh, house. It was a people lived in it. Well, it was a Normandy chateau. Uh, it was built in 1903 for the Lawrence family, which it was for their son, uh, the Lawrences of Sarah Lawrence College, and so it was built for their son. And um, yes, it it was quite quite a nice house. It was extraordinary. So. Uh, I I got to meet the Shookers and I got to meet Randall when I was there. Now, in particular, Greg Shooker yeah. was a, a fascinating guy. Yeah. And uh, 
Greg was a, a, a documentary filmmaker. Yes. He had worked on a number of documentaries. His claim to fame, he won an Emmy for this. Uh, he'd been working on a documentary with and about Martin Luther King for yes. a couple of months before he was assassinated. And literally, I think he had said goodbye to, to King a, a couple of weeks. Maybe. Uh, I think it was on the day of, if I on remember. On the day of, it was, it was really and like he right was up. He, flying, had just said goodbye he was flying to him. back. He was flying back from Memphis. That's right. Yeah, uh, right. He was flying right, right, right. Yeah. And that was my understanding. Mm -hmm. um, but yes. Um, but, you know, it's interesting on IMDb, his credits are not all on there. And, uh, you know, he won for uh, the chair. He won uh, the uh, Grand Prix at, at Cannes. And um, also he, well, yes, he won the Emmy. He won Venice Film Festival Awards. Uh, and none of that is on IMDb. There's only, I think, four or five credits on there, but they don't even mention the Martin Luther King uh, wow. document. And he won an Emmy for that. I mean, so after, yeah. and then King dies and, and suddenly he was thrown into an editing room and, and, and put yeah. this, everything. And he also narrated it. He, he was the narrator. I mean, Greg was a, he was not only a writer, he was a producer, he was a cinematographer. Uh, I mean, he really was a well-rounded guy and, and very knowledgeable on film, film history, that sort of thing. Um, he, he started, I'll tell you, he did start, uh, he was, uh, I think it was in the mid-1950s, he was with a group of students who went to the Soviet Union, which was uh, during the height of the Cold War. Uh, and he photographed a lot of stuff in the Soviet Union. And then Life magazine picked that up. And he was hired not long after that at Life as a correspondent. And he was with Life magazine. And uh, during, I, I forget which which project he was working on, where he uh, met uh, 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 Drew, uh, Robert Drew from Drew Associates. And that's when the ideas started about uh, documentary filmmaking, because it really wasn't uh, that it wasn't that popular at the time, mm -hmm. um, but Greg was really one of the pioneers of documentary filmmaking that was accessible to people. Right, uh, of, of, of the kind of realistic, oh. the documentarian is right there in... It in, was, yes, yeah, Cinema Verite movie. Cinema Verite, thank you. Yeah, it was, he was, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, he was really one, one of the creators of, of Cinema Verite. Yes, he really was. And he traveled, you know, all over the world. And uh, But he was a great writer, too. But, uh, you know, my takeaway, Greg, I mean, Greg and I were very close. I mean, he was like a second dad. And, uh, you know, he, he never stopped, he never really stopped working, even though he wasn't working. He was always reading, he read, he was a voracious reader, and he read books, and he was always trying to figure out what could be sold or purchased and turned into a script, a screenplay, da 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 I mean, he was always on the hustle like that. And I, remember, I remember that about him. He, he was, he was yeah. so, he was, he was trying to, to, to make, to make it. Yeah. Yes, he was determined that it was going to happen again, and it never quite did, yeah. because as documentary filmmaking, I mean, it's too bad that he didn't live to see what documentary filmmaking has become because now it is quite popular and you have so many outlets. I mean, with all the streaming services, and it's just tragic that he didn't get to fulfill what he really loved to do. If he um, had existed in, in the time of Netflix, he'd be doing, yeah. oh my God, he, he'd oh, yeah. be a star. Yeah. Very talented, very, very talented. He, and what happened to him? He was a late uh, alcoholic, unfortunately. Well, yeah, but he did he he did go through AA and he yeah. was sober. Uh, but he he had can got cancer and died at sixty seven, so uh, he was the, not very old in the yeah in the, the the alcoholism really it you know it it I think it impacted his ability to work, mm -hmm. but it was you know he had he had all this talent and and you know he should have been it it wasn't his fault it's just the world did not recognize. Yeah the incredible right 
wow, the incredible content provider is what we would call him today that, that he was. Now, for me, when, when I was taken into the, uh, under the wing of this family, this little Jewish kid from, from, from <laughs> Baltimore, being taken in by this wasp family in, in the middle of Bronxville, New York, it was- We weren't, we weren't exactly your norm, your typical wasp family. No, 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 but, but, but from, you know, from, from my perspective, this is completely foreign. This might as well be Mars and you might as well all be Martians. But it was fascinating. I, I, I was in, enthralled, intrigued with, with the world. But, you know, Greg, he was so generous and uh, his passion for filmmaking oh, yeah. got underneath my skin. You know, I, I, I love movies. I, I, I loved old movies, but, yeah. but Greg infused, he was a filmmaker. Yeah. And it was, he was the first guy who said, you know, there's this movie called Don't Look Now and you should, you should catch this. Yeah. And he made me sit down and watch Don't Look Now. And yeah. that opened my eyes because Greg, it was the Greg who said, you know, now look at the color red and water and motif and theme and, and just the way that the filmmaker had used so many bits and pieces of, of mm -hmm. the filmmaker's art to yeah. create this feeling of dread. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Such artistry. And uh, I just watched it the other night. It was on uh, Turner Classic Movies. And, uh, you know, it's still, for my money, has the best sex scene between mainstream actors of any movie in the entire of, in the entirety of, of, of world cinema, bar none. <laughs> and watching it again, I'm even more convinced. It is so good. First of all, it's so intimate. You, you get a feeling that, you know, that the rumors, the stories might indeed be true, that they really did consummate there on, on, on the set. But it, it's the clever intercutting. Yeah. This, they're having sex. And, and you feel like it's the sex for the first time since their little girl died. And they're getting, it's, he, he, he intercuts that with them getting ready to go out to dinner afterwards. Mm -hmm. And it just gives it a feeling of passion and yet the ordinariness of life. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the one thing, you know, Greg, Greg and I went to the movies a lot. And we would go into the city and, you know, we uh, remember the uh, little Carnegie theater. We would, oh, sure, uh, sure, sure. Uh, you know, it's like we would see these great movies, but he had such a passion for it. But the one thing I, I, I learned from Greg was we're not going in if the film has started. No, so we're not, we would not go in if the credits had started rolling or if the preview said, no, 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 no. You go in. And also you sat through all of the credits. Oh, gosh, yes. All the credits. So, uh, yes, I, I, I read a lot of credits and became familiar with a lot of names. But um, he, I mean, again, living in Bronxville with that neighborhood, I mean, Brendan Gill was one of our neighbors, for heaven's sakes. Oh, my God. And, I, didn't, um, I didn't even know that. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, they, they lived just, just down the hill there. Uh, but there was, there was always, a, you know, people there. The people, you know, the most interesting people in the neighborhood Um it, it was really, yeah, I, it's hard to describe it. You know, as a kid, you know, I'd come in from Ohio. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm yeah, like, yeah. whoa, this, yeah. Is, this is something different. Um, but like you, it's like, you know, but it wasn't your typical, you know, we weren't sitting around eating white bread and mayonnaise all day. Come on. <laughs> no, 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 no. Absolutely true. Now, some of the, the best of all the times, <clears throat> they had a sun porch. And again, this yeah. was a house on a hill and the sun porch had a lovely view of, of, of the whole neighborhood. And we'd have dinner out on the sun porch. Oh, yeah. And the conversation, uh -huh. Greg was still drinking then, and the wine was always remarkable. I, Almaden. 
Almaden jug wine. <laughs> it's amazing, you know, because I'm I'm a kid from Yonkers, which is the next town over. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, and I, knew, and I knew nothing about Sarah Lawrence or Sarah Lawrence College or the Lawrences until I started looking for colleges. I mean, I, I grew up in Yonkers my entire life and knew nothing about this. There might, yeah. have, there might as well have been a wall at the border. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Cause, okay. So the main building at Sarah Lawrence is Westlands, which was Westlands was the name of the estate that the Lawrence's had. And so when they built the house, it's on sunset that I was living in that was built for Arthur Lawrence and it was on the hilltop. And from, let me see, it was wow. from my bedroom windows you could see Westlands on a, on a, like a winter day when the trees weren't out. Um, it, it was, that was the idea was that you could see their houses from uh, wow. different points of view. So yeah, that was it. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, so I, I wanted to, to have a brief conversation about Greg because he was really, he, he deserves to be remembered more he than he is really talented man. Yeah. So it was, he was a great influence. So Randall and I have known each other for, Ever and uh, eventually, Randall. He, he, while you were still in New York, before you came out here, you were involved in a very cool show called Tony and Tina's Wedding. Yeah, I was one of the um, collaborators, not one of the original creators, but one of the collaborators on Tony and Tina's Wedding, which at the time was the most successful off-Broadway show outside of what the Fantastics or something. I mean, we wow. ran because it was it, it the touring companies and all of that sure and um that's what brought me to los angeles was uh huh. i was in the original because i was not only had i done the production design for the show because it had to be a hands-on environment so everything had to look real so you went to vinnie black's coliseum which was supposed to be like an italian wedding establishment and it had to look real absolutely real and sure. so that was my job but also uh, they had me in the show as an actor. I played one of the caterers named Vlasic, who was Russian. And uh, because I was roaming the room and just monitoring when people would start to take things, uh, we had a lot of people that, you know, just wanted to lift things and take them home as souvenirs. And so, you know, and so Vlasic was kind of the hall monitor for walking around. Um, so that was my character. And then what we brought it out. To, I also swung. I was uh, the photographer for a while. And... Um, did I do so? I don't I, anyway, then we came to Los Angeles. The original company came to Los Angeles and uh, I we opened the show at the Park Plaza Hotel downtown there on MacArthur Park, mm. uh, which was really interesting. And then um, I guess I don't know. I, I just didn't know what I was going to do. I was I just decided to go back to New York because I had a great apartment in Brooklyn. Beautiful three bedroom floor through. And I'm like, I'm not giving this up. But, you know, where, where, uh, where, where was your last apartment in, in Brooklyn? It was on Fifth Street between Seventh and Eighth, uh -huh. right on well, a block from the park. For 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 a space of time, Randall and Allison Shooker and I, we shared. Yeah, well, we had that house in Cobble Hill. Yeah, we had. A, we shared a, a, a carriage house in Cobble yeah. Hill, yeah. and that was that. That patch of time was so much fun. We we had there was a, a tar beach up on up on the yeah. roof, and we threw the the Brooklyn Bridge had its birthday party. Yeah. We and threw a lot of. Such a great party, our, our Brooklyn Bridge uh, Tar Beach party. That was so oh much fun. Remember the uh, remember the, the Tupperware party with the Jim Jones oh, puns? Oh, the Tupperware party was hilarious. I that was you, so much you fun. You talked a Tupperware lady to drive all the way down from White Plains to Brooklyn, to Cobble Hill, Brooklyn, and bring all this Tupperware. And we made that, that Jim Jones punch and people got hammered and they bought, she said, I've never sold, I've never sold so much Tupperware in my life. <laughs> 
and, and she, we were not like we were she was from white plains she yeah, was a, a couple, like white plains yeah yeah and 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 we were it was a bunch of theatrical creatives oh, you know yeah. in, in in cobble hill brooklyn and she walked in the room and thought i've wasted my time yeah. no one here is buying the shit and uh -huh. we're weirdos and uh, she, I think she got more hammered than anybody yeah, no, absolutely. And remember, in the, them you you got all the stacks, the boxes, and boxes of Tupperware that arrived. And I just had to distribute them up in the dining room. <laughs> oh, those those were the days. Who's gonna uh, buy? Who's gonna pick this up? I remember, like, oh my god. I, I think I still have a couple of those pieces. Yeah. Anyway, so you eventually you you got out to Los Angeles, and yeah. eventually. Well, at the time, uh, our mutual friend, Jerry Davis, was dating uh, Jay Galati, who was a costume designer. And uh, Jay and I became fast friends. And she said, well, why are you going back to New York? Are you going back into the show? And I just assumed I would go back into Tony and Tina's wedding in New York. And uh, she says, well, do you want to learn the business? Have you ever done costuming? And I said, well, in college, I did. I did a little bit of that. And, you know, just be part of the theater program. And um she says, well, you know, I'm doing a show. I'm doing a, a, a mini series for NBC called The Great Los Angeles Earthquake. So uh, do you, uh, why don't you come on, come on board, you know? And so and at, at that time, it was non-union, I believe. Even though we were shooting in LA, uh, we were over, gosh, we were at Universal. We were all over the place. Anyway, The Great Los Angeles. At Universal and you were non-union? Yeah, we were shooting on the, the New York Street there uh, yeah. with Rubble. And that's what happened was, I started, uh, I don't know how I got this job, but I, my, one of my first jobs was burying victims under fake bricks and then blooding them up, like tearing their, their clothes and then blooding them up. And somebody, I remember saying, wow, you're really good at that blood. And it's like, oh, oh like, okay, yeah. So <laughs> I, was, I became the blood guy. And so that's what I did on the Great Los Angeles Earthquake. And uh, I worked, I did a lot of victims. I dressed them and bloodied them up. And so that's, uh, that was my introduction to show business. And it was, it was, a, it was a good show. I mean, it was a good, uh, it was a good experience all the way around. And um, I will, I will point out briefly that our, our mutual friend, Jerry Davis, uh, yeah. another dear friend from, from back in the, from Vassar years, yeah. Uh, Jerry became a, an animation executive, and he is right. one of the executives responsible for the Ice Age series yeah. of features. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Another very talented person, Jerry. Yeah, yeah that was Jerry. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, but, yeah, I, but so I, I Yeah, so I'm, I'm doing the blood work, and it just kind of led one job led to another. And um, I think I'm trying to remember when I did Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. That was the remake with the Redgrave sisters of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. That was the right, costume right. supervisor on that and dressed the background. Jay and I did that uh, that show. And uh, I mean, it was it was great. I mean, it was it was a little intimidating at first to work with the Redgrave sisters. Right. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you talk about things that happen in movies and communication is very, very important. Let me tell you something. But I was with. We shot in a big house in Hancock Park, which was, uh, I think, just like a block away from the original Baby Jane house. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. And I was there with the meeting with the group and we were going through the house and we get to what's supposed to be Vanessa's bedroom. And Vanessa is playing the Joan Crawford part. Right. <laughs> I guess nobody really talked to Vanessa about how she saw her character or how she, you know, envisioned her, her, her room because she's really a prisoner in this bedroom. Yeah. And I'll never forget it. Vanessa she walked in and she said, Oh no, 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 
no, this is all wrong, wrong. Oh no, it's all wrong. And the set decorator, I felt so bad for it, had purchased thousands of dollars of vintage wallpaper. and had done the it's a huge bedroom had done the entire bedroom with this wallpaper and this furniture which was kind of a throwback to the original film not to what her concept of her character was and i'll never forget this and she said oh no i'm going to call david and she went out into the hallway and she called david hockney and got a painting she (laughs) one of the swimming pool paintings in her bedroom on the wall and that was david I'm going to call David. And she called David Hockney and got a painting sent over. So anyway, they had to redo the whole room to match what her, she, her whole concept of her character. Now, Lynn was uh, a a delight to work with. Absolute delight. I loved her. She was like one of the coolest people I've ever worked with. And uh, I I really enjoyed every minute with her. Uh, Terrific. I, I mean, that, that's, that's I hope that painting uh, after the production wound up somehow in your bedroom or living room. Oh, <laughs> no, no, sorry, did not. Yeah. Uh, it was it was huge. It was a big painting. It was not a little painting. It was a big painting. Um, but no, it was a great. That was a great experience. And I think from there is when then I got involved with uh, tales. Yeah, I think uh, was it season four that you came aboard? I think it might have been. Uh, I, I I know that the uh, we did uh, the episode. One of the episodes was with Henry Gibson. Would that have been uh, Henry Gibson? Hanks? Is, yes, Hanks, season four. That, that was with Tom Hanks. That Tom, yeah, Tom, Tom Hanks. We were at that big house, like what in Calabasas or something. We were shooting at uh, way out somewhere. Yes, I think that that was the first season. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you know, I've talked about it in the past. You know what a great experience it was. It was, you know, truly fantastic. You know, and uh, but you know, I mean, again, we're, this episode is called "Dirty Laundry." I'm trying to think of, you know, what dirty laundry. I mean, you know, there was an actor who was a lead in one of these shows who did leave me a treat um, when I went to clean up um, his uh, his oh, area. It, it's and, you know, uh, if if you when you, you know, laundry is a very intimate thing. It's a very intimate thing. It, it is. You. It tells a story that 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 sometimes you don't intend to tell to other people. Well, you know, for the most part, the actors that we did hire on the show, the three, because you know, well, there were always what three principals for every episode. Then it was background, yeah, more or less, right? And so they were all really great. But you could tell the actors who had been trained or had worked in theater because when you went into their trailer, you went into their dressing room, everything was hung up. And the ones that just came from, you know, television or, you know, move their stuff was just laying all over the floor. There was no rhyme or reason to it. You had to pick up their sweaty old socks and shoes. And it's like, oh, you know, but, you know, it's just part of the job. It is part of the job. But uh, now I remember what the thing that and Gil, I'm trying to remember what episode it would have been on. It was uh, when I because this is when I was supervising then. And you wanted to talk me. You wanted me to talk somebody into doing full nudity. <laughs> and you said, oh, why don't you go in? Because you're a diplomat. You're the diplomat. <laughs> and I'm like, well, how did I get up? What do I have a part that says I'm a diplomat? No. And so, but I had to do that several times. And the, you had the, to talk people in, in, into doing nudity for us. Yeah, can I say what one of the, the episodes, and I'm trying to remember what it, which was, it was can I t- say who it was? Sure. It was. I think this was Bill Malone's episode, and it was with Sherry Rose. Oh, Sherry, sure. sure. Uh, Peter Honorati. Oh, <laughs> oh, it's a great episode. Uh, uh, only fa- only skin yeah. deep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
So, and I think that, and I forget whether Gil came to me or somebody came to me, it may have been Bill saying, do you think that they would do this nude? And I said, well, and so I went into Sherry and I said, hey, Sherry, by the way, Peter said he will do this nude if you will do it nude. And she said, oh, 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 okay. So then I go to Peter and I say, hey, Peter, Sherry will do this nude if you do <laughs> And so I remember we had well, we had a robe standing by. Yes, I'll be right there with you with the robe and all of that. Um, but yeah, that was I had to do that several times. And then there was the the time with the poor kid. He was like a young guy. Um, I, this may have been a teaser. It may have been a teaser for Demon Knight, where you you had uh, this guy was supposed to be screwing this woman on a bed. Uh, and I remember. Uh, well, anyway, and we set up the shot and then they said, oh, because he had a pouch on, you know, cover everything up. And it had a string that went around the waist. And uh, I forget who it was said, hey, you know, is there any way we can lose that string? I mean, it's too distracting. You know, we're trying to get a rear sh a shot of his rear end here. And he's like pounding on her, blah, blah, blah. So I had to take this kid back to the trailer. Now, this was just this was not like this kid was not a seasoned professional, put it that way. But um, I take him back to the trailer and I explain what they want. And I felt so bad for him because he was kind of hairy down there. And so I had to take the pouch and nice. it was, like was kind of like a thong type thing. Had to cut that off, just get the pouch. And then I had to put top stick all over his crotch. Now, for anybody <laughs> who doesn't know what top stick is, it's toupee tape. And that's what you lock a toupee onto your head with. And all oh, this poor kid, I, I didn't even want to be near that trailer when he had to pull that stuff off because I'm sure it was not a fun experience. But no. I had so much on there to anchor it down in order to keep everything, you know, intact because he did not want to do it nude. No, there was no way he was going to do it uh, full nude, full frontal. Well, so sure. and I, I'm glad Alan and I didn't have to do anything in nudity. Otherwise, we would have been probably still picking off that tape now. We use top stick for everything, but uh, yeah, no, so it was, I mean, those were the only things that I would say, you know, Tales was such a great experience. And, and you know, well, we've said this before, the, the, the cast that was always there, the principals, they were there because they wanted to play. And we tried to make it a fun environment and we tried to make it as easy as possible. Yeah, you're going to get bloody, you're going to get dirty, you're going to get, you know, whatever. You're going to have your heart ripped out, your intestines pulled out, you know, yeah. But I, I, I remember when when we did the, the fitting for Isabella Rossellini on oh, yeah. the You Murderer episode. And, and I just, I, I remember looking at you as as she came up because she wanted to do it as her mom uh, as yeah. as as Ingrid Bergman she wanted to do it as her mom Ingrid Bergman in Casablanca she wanted yeah. to do it as Elsa which was I mean to put that look together must have been so much fun well yeah you know so Warden Neal was the the costume designer on the episodes and again Warden really concentrated on just the principles and I did everybody else but in that fitting because she was oh she's a sweetheart Isabel yeah. Rossellini was a, a lovely, sweet. lovely. And, um, she came out of that that little dressing room we had there, and I'm like, ah, uh, okay, wow, this is kind of because I know Warden really searched high and low for the hat. Yeah, uh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what that. Bergman wore in uh, Casablanca, and I, and again, Isabella really knew what she wanted too. I mean, she was, you know, she had her two cents that she put in. But no, the actors, uh, as far as demands uh no they they really didn't you know it's like well, we're just here to play dress me put whatever whatever you want on me oh i remember oh what's the comedian um oh gosh what's his name uh the comedian uh he, i had to have so many white shirts standing by for him because he sweat like his body just poured water oh, out 
gosh, who, who that Richard could've... Lewis. It was Richard oh, Lewis. Oh, Richard. Oh, well, oh, oh yeah. that's the Whirlpool episode. On, oh, oh my right. God. He was such a nice guy. And he was so, I was like, don't be embarrassed. I said, I've got six. I remember that. Five for you, you know? Don't be embarrassed, you know? But yeah, oh, he was a sweater. Oh, boy, did he sweat. And he he was also kind of nervous about doing it, but he was very nice. I mean, everybody was nice. He was, he was a pleasure. He was a pleasure to work with. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as opposed to after I I did do, and I I don't know if I'm I'm going to say what show it was, but I did a mini series that was uh, directed by our friend Mick Garris, and we had an actress uh, on that show, which was well, it was an experience. Let's just put it that way. And I'll never forget the dry cleaners called me and said, "Hey, Randall." I don't know what's going on, but we cannot get the stench out of her sweaters. It's so bad. It's so pungent. What is happening? Oh I tried everything. And I'm like, oh boy, I, I don't know what to tell you because she wore sweaters for pretty much the entire picture, right? And uh, so I called my good friend, Wendy, who had worked with her on a previous film. And I said, oh my God, can you help me out here? Did you have this problem? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Here's what you do. You go to the liquor store, you buy the cheapest bottle of vodka you can find, put it in a spray bottle and spray it down, which is what we did. And I mean, what does that tell you about vodka? Ah, wow, this is, this is yeah, incredible. It took, it, out. it took the smell out and it was, uh, yeah. We're, we're, you know, in the way the dads from the crypt do, do uh, uh, they review crypt episodes and give parenting advice. Now we give a uh, 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 home, uh, a wardrobe uh, uh Deepest bottle of vodka, spray bottle. That's all you have to do. That's homeopathic ways to avoid disaster. <laughs> wow. Never mind club soda, vodka. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know, that's the thing. It's just when I, I, I got to thinking about what I was going to say or what I'm going to talk about. And again, Tales, we really had great experience with the actors. But on the other projects that I worked on, there was always one person. There was always one person who. Well, now, no, no, no. Before we get there, I, uh, did you do perversions? No, no, I didn't hear tales. Okay, so, uh, all right, so uh, you did Weird World. Yeah, we, yeah, or yeah, Weird World or Weird Tales. Yeah, Weird, weird World, that, that, that's what you meant. Okay, so yeah. so you did that, but, uh, and then uh, afterwards, and then uh, uh, you, you were with the group when they went to Las Vegas and did the strip. Oh, there was a TV show called The Strip that some guy named Gil Adler was on. Uh, yeah. And F.A. brought me in. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, who, who, who was one of your lead actresses on that show? <laughs> Stacy Dash. Stacy Dash. Dash. See, you've forgotten her already. <laughs> Don't you, do you remember what? Oh, my gosh. I've never worked with uh, an actress who walked into the trailer and hated everything immediately and just refused to wear anything. I've never had an actress piss off wardrobe, makeup, hair, set decorator, prop master. You know, it was like, it was such a bad attitude. Do you remember that, Gil? I actually don't. I don't remember her at oh all. My, it's so funny. I, I was sure. Oh, my God. Well, if, if, if this is the, if she sounded like another Dennis Miller. Uh, yeah, very close. Very, very, very close. Actually... Maybe a little nastier, really, tr and truthfully. Uh, she really was had quite the attitude, and we were all like, wait a minute, we've all been getting along and having a good time here, and then you're introduced as one of the lead characters, and you refuse to wear the stuff that was bought for you. And we're not on a, it wasn't a high-budget TV show at all, not at all. And so we were trying to make do, and it's like, you know, little things like shoes. I, would, I won't wear those shoes. No, I'm not. 
Stacy, nobody's going to see your feet. It's television. They're going to shoot you from here up. You know, it's like, no, don't worry about, oh no, she wouldn't do, oh, it was awful. And that's when, I, I believe that's when Warden quit. Warden quit. And then he said he wasn't going to put up with that kind of stuff. And then we brought Julie Carnahan in to uh, continue on the show, which uh, Julie and I then, because we'd worked together before and got along great. And uh, But yes, and mercifully, remember the show got canceled after what, nine episodes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was that was an experience. I had never really run into anybody that difficult. The only person I remember from that show is the uh, God. What's his name? He's 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 no longer with us. Uh, Italian. Oh, Joe Vitarelli. Yeah, Joe Vitarelli. Joe Vitarelli. Yeah, yeah. Joe was Joe was great. Oh, he was a hoot. That guy. I mean, he was. What you see is what what you, is what you got. Oh, yeah. You know, he was not. <laughs> that's him. You know, yeah. he was, he was, and he actually was very nice to work with. He, you know, it's like, you know, okay, Joe, just do your thing. And also, do you remember we had Alexis Arquette on the show? Yeah. Had Alexis Arquette on the show. And that was the first time I think a trans person was in a lead part. Yeah. If I remember right. Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah. Joe really just a real quick story about Joe is one day he comes into my office and he sits down and he goes, so we have to talk. And I'm like, <laughs> oh God, what, what happened? What, what he goes, so uh, I know you made this deal that we're all staying at Caesars. I don't want to stay at Caesars. I, I don't stay in Caesars. I stay down the block at, I forgot what it was called, Circus Circus or something like that. Oh, Circus Circus. <laughs> which was, which was a, totally a mob place from, you know, in the 50s and 60s. So I go, but Joe, this it's brand new. This is a brand new facility. And we made, a, and he comes over to, my, to, to, to the desk. He gets up, he comes over to the desk, leans over and he goes, Gil, I'm not sure you understand what I'm saying to you. <laughs> my friends, my friends are over there. And in fact, my friends want you and your wife to come over for a nice steak dinner. <laughs> but I need to stay there. So you need to call them and just make arrangements for me to stay there. Do, do, you, do you understand what I'm saying to you? And then all of a sudden, it, the, the light bulb went off and I went, oh, oh, okay, yeah. Is, yeah, is there sure. a waste management company you'd like us to use too? Right. So I make the deal, right? Joe moves into the other place, calls me up one day and he goes, so the guys want to have you over and your wife for dinner. And I go, well, you know, I'm really busy. I'm we're working along. He goes, no, 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 no. We're doing this on the weekend whenever you can make it. So I go, oh, okay. So my wife and I go over there for dinner. And it was like out of a, it was like out of the casino, the movie. Yep. It's a round table. It's, it's, all, it's all wood, old wood. And Jeannie and I are sitting at the table with it, Joe. And is like, it a checkered tablecloth at least? Oh, yeah. And with four or five guys. And I'm sitting there. And as I'm looking around the table, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm in a movie about the mafia. <laughs> one looks more like a mafia killer than the other one. I'm thinking, am I going to make it out of here with just a steak? Or is the steak knife going to be in me? <laughs> and it was so much, we had such a great time with them. And then we left and they were always inviting us over. And I was always saying, no, no, I, I can't do it. But I, I, you know, we had such a great time. We'll have to do it again. But yeah. we never did. But Joe, Joe turned out to be the, the best. Oh yeah. No, he was great. But I, I think it was the stardust. Cause I do remember I him. The stardust. Him. Yes. I think it was, it was, it was that's what it was. On, but I so, think it was the stardust. It, that was. it definitely sense. was the stardust. As you said, it burned. Oh, just came in. Yeah. I remember walking into that lobby and seeing these guys sort of in a circular you know, all lined up in a circle, sort of to say hello in a semicircle as Jeannie and I came in with Joe. And, and, and as I, I just kept thinking to myself, I'm either in a movie or Joe has arranged for me to die tonight. 
<laughs> or maybe both. That's hilarious. Yeah, no, he was he was great. He was a real character. He was great. So anyway. these these days, Randall, you work for Paramount. You you have really yep. your dream job. Yeah. Well, I've been at, I've been at Paramount now uh, twenty years. I've been at Paramount. Uh, so, uh, and, yeah. and just just explain to the folks what what you do over at Paramount. Well, I was originally I was brought in uh, to the costume department uh, as a you know, like a day check type person, and then that segued into oh no, we want you full time. And then they let uh, some of the people go that I was working with said no, we want you to take over the rental floor. Uh, this all happened within about a year. And so I was running the rental floor, and then there and this was is, this is about this is twenty years ago. So we're talking around no. uh, the turn yeah. of the, the millennium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was I think I started there in two thousand and two. Yeah, it was two thousand and two oh. is when I started there. Um, and so uh, you know, it just segued. And as I would be restocking costumes or writing things up, you know, for orders for people, and I would find these historical costumes that some of them had names in them, some of them I just recognized what they were. And I'm like, oh my God, no, I'm not renting this. I'm not renting it. And so I started hiding stuff. What was and, the first what was the first one you recognized? You went, oh my God. Oh God. I know what this is. Um, it was uh, uh Jane Russell from Son of Paleface. Wow. And it was a, a red and black striped uh performance costume that she wore when she sang the Wingding song, the Wingding number. Uh and, you, and it's like and, but you recognized it. You you yeah, saw it, and you recognized yeah. it, but it wasn't marked inside. You went, I know what that is. No, that's Jane Russell. Right. It's Jane Russell. And which, uh, by the way, has been restored and has gone to museums around the country. Uh, but yeah, so um, that was one of the first. And then um, it was a little just it, it pieces. I'd, I'd see these names like Barbara Stanwyck and Veronica Lake and uh, like, oh, my gosh, Dorothy Lamour And like, oh, my gosh. So I just started hiding them. I started bagging them up and putting uh, notes on them that said, do not rent damaged. Like uh, then we had the jewelry collection and the jewelry collection was kept separate. And I started realizing, oh, my gosh, well, uh, this is pretty good stuff. And um, I guess I think it was about 2006. They decided to close the department and uh, they were going to sell everything off. And I said, oh, no. And my boss at the time, who, who was great. And he said, well, I know what you've been doing. So why don't you go to all the other studios and see what their archives are like? And uh, let, let's talk. So I went to the studios and actually it was Leith Adams at Warner Brothers who really kind of took me under his wing and, and taught me how he did things. And so uh, that's I modeled how I wanted to set up Paramount's costume and prop archive based on how, what Leith taught me. Hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, what can I say? It's just it's it's now 20 years. We have about 39,000 individual contemporary pieces. They go back to 1987. And uh, then I have about 3,500 uh, vintage pieces that go back to 1914. Uh, jewelry, there's 12,500 pieces of jewelry. Uh, and we've just discovered uh, Jackie Rohr, who works with me. Uh, she does a lot of our jewelry restoration. She just discovered an anime Wong necklace and bracelet set uh, from a 1938 film that we did. So, um, yeah, and and then in tw in twenty twenty four, I'm doing where where when you say just found where where 
do these well, things yet I mean, just I, now? Well, going back to the jewelry, the jewelry was in a separate room. Contemporary jewelry was in one room and the, the like historical and fantasy stuff was in another. Mm-hmm. And they sold off the contemporary jewelry before I had a, a big say in it, right? But the other jewelry, I lied and I said, ah, uh, oh, this stuff probably doesn't have much value and it's broken. I said, you know, we'll find the right buyer for it. And I knew damn straight. It's the Ten Commandments. It's Samson yeah. and Delilah. Oh my God. Oh and it's like, you know, I'm no fool. And um, so that's the stuff that has been restored, those pieces. We had a budget to do restoration on all of this. And they look great. I mean, they were, you know, the DeMille stuff um, was, it's, it's, it's uh, gold-plated. It's real gold-plated. It's not, wow. uh, he, they insisted on spending the money uh, for gold plating. And, uh, I mean, we have beautiful crowns, necklaces, um, you know. Are and then, ever, of course. Are they, ever, are they ever on display anyplace? Yeah. Well, we have, a, we have a jewelry display room at Paramount for the archive tour. If you're on the VIP tour, you can see it there. And then we've traveled uh, around the country with uh, some of the you know, exhibitions. Because basically, now that's what I'm doing are museum loans, museum exhibitions. So I'll be doing a big Edith Head exhibit in 24 in Oklahoma City. Um, and then, uh, like right now, I just got back from Ohio. I did a very Brady holiday, which were pieces from the Brady Bunch films, the first and the second film. Plus I had three pieces from the original TV series. Uh, so that's a very Brady holiday. Uh, so yeah, that's, it's, it's, and it's a great calling card for Paramount, you know, and for the archives that, you know, it, you know, people will see this stuff and say, Hey, I want to watch that movie. I'm going to get it on DVD or, you know, I'm streaming, sure. whatever. So uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 like we're like goodwill ambassadors, put it that way. Have you ever thought about writing an accompanying book about the oh, history of some of these items? Oh, uh, yeah, people have asked me about that, and um, what I, I, would find love, really, I would read that. I would love to read that because well, I mean, yeah, I mean, what was more interesting to me is when I started discovering this stuff was how how what poor condition so much of the stuff was in and I photographed a lot of the stuff in its deteriorating state, yeah. which was uh, interesting, you know, to look at. And now uh, the bulk of that stuff has been restored and it great. can't be displayed. And we have a person who does all of our restoration work for us and she's really great and understands the nature of this fabric and what it takes because we don't allow any of these pieces to be worn again, but they can go on a dress form or a mannequin. Uh, you know, that, yeah. So, but it's another, but it's another whole element to, to, have some text to yeah. how and what happened to this thing, a garment or jewelry in, yeah. its, in its heyday and how it got to here. That mm-hmm. to me would be, you know, even more interesting than just looking at it going, oh, it, somebody, so and so Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, I, but, I think that would be really interesting. Well, you know, back in the day, this stuff was considered really, it was used for one film and then it would go into a stock, open stock. Right. You know, right. they, you reuse it, recut it. You know, there was no real respect for it. And it wasn't until after that MGM auction in 1970 that uh, then suddenly this stuff had value. And that's when the yeah. studio started unloading a lot. Also storage, you know, it was very costly to store a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and storage was at a premium and, you know, that was the big transition you know, back in, you know, from 69 to 72 is, you know, how films were made and the type of films that were made. And people didn't need an Edith head to create costumes from scratch. You you went to Nordstrom's, you went to Macy's, you went to Saks, you know, you bought yeah. stuff. From people. Yeah. It was a more realistic look that pe- that uh, filmmakers were after. They weren't after anything terribly exotic unless it was a period film. But a lot of our period dresses were recut and men's suits were just recut and used on, on people over and over again. Yeah, but even more interesting about, well, that history of when it wasn't that way, when it was 
really just taken and basically thrown back into the yeah. into the closet to be reused someplace and, and realizing later on, oh my God, those are the shoes that so-and-so wore. Or those are the, oh, yeah. these are the slippers. The ruby that, slippers. Yeah. yeah. I, that seems to me like a really interesting. It is, it is fascinating. It really is. It's uh, it's a fascinating uh, uh, piece of our history and the ephemera of Hollywood. Well, you know, the, the art form movie making is a great, universal story form a storytelling yep. form it, it is as hey it's it, it's the most potent thing in the world the the moving image yeah i remember as, when, I as, first came, when i when i first came out to la in the early 70s mgm was auctioning off that third lot mm. and i got onto that lot before they, they they sold it because that was where the house was from from uh, um gone with the wind Oh, and yeah, Artie sure. Boy house sure. was there. And, sure, sure. you know, you would just, nobody cared. Nobody, yeah. there was no security or anything. You just walked around there. And now, now today it's all condos. Everything is gone and it's all condos. Yep. And you can't. Uh, so, uh, what, what, how, how did Joni Mitchell put it? You, you paved paradise and put up a parking lot? Right. Yeah. But, you know, that's what the, the studio archives, you know, not just me, but the other archives are, are working really hard to preserve this stuff. Yeah. And, accessible and uh you know for museum loans and for and we, oh, i also work with marketing and publicity when they need things so you know it uh but there is a, a different respect for these uh assets now than there was even oh, yeah. 25 years ago mm -hmm. you know they were just selling things out the back door just to pay the rent on the space so has there, uh, has there been any conversation about the the new museum on Fairfax. Well, I'm working with them actually. I'm working with them actually tomorrow. I go over to uh, check out the Godfather display wow. uh, that we helped coordinate, and that we have our Ooh. grand opening on Wednesday night. Oh, it's cool! The, uh, opening cool. for the Godfather, so it's a celebration of the Godfather. But um, we oh. were able to secure set pieces. Uh, well, Don Corleone's office from the Offer, which was the miniseries, and they did a beautiful job of reproducing the Don Corleone office. Yeah. So uh, they took it apart, and the back half of that with the desk, the bookshelves, the fireplace, that is all going to be the centerpiece at the uh, at the Academy Museum. And yeah, I have other costumes there too, and we're also talking about stuff for 23. So yeah, I'm working with them pretty closely. How long will that exhibit be on? 17 months. That's gonna be a long exhibit. Wow. At, at, at the Motion Picture Museum. Yeah, at the Academy Museum. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, while we're, this would be a perfect place to 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 finish up. Now, you haven't been there yet, Gil. No, I haven't. Okay, I, I you know, when you come to Los Angeles, anyway, when you get back to LA uh, next time, uh, you gotta hit that museum, man. The, the 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 Academy Museum is fantastic. I'm sure it is. I'm it sure it is, is awesome, and it is oh. you know, walking around with being part of this industry. You know, having 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 been a storyteller within it, a feeling of such pride mm -hmm. to, to be part of of this remarkable thing. And you look at the stories, excuse me, the stories that this industry tells and the way that it tells it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. In fact, in fact, if I may be so bold, I think you should take one of those smelly sweaters and, and put it up in the museum. <laughs> you know that's 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 yes there the secrets hey there, there's a whole exhibit that the museum is going to have to think about called dirty laundry dirty laundry yeah and if you can guess if you can guess who, who wore it 
perhaps you can keep it. <laughs> there you oh. go. Oh, your head. Ay, ay, ay. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Randall. Oh. You are so welcome. I'm always, uh, whenever I get to talk about tales and just, you know, my experience, it's, I, I love doing that because it was, like I said, over and over again, it was a great experience. And uh, it was, it's, it's too bad it ended too soon, really. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, we all had a terrific time and uh, appreciated each other and respected each other. And, uh, but yeah, I, I still know how to, you know, rip a heart out, uh, take a head off, uh, okay. stab somebody in the back a couple of times. Uh, well, knowing how to stab people in the back is, is necessary in this business. Oh, yeah. Welcome to Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember saying to the, the, the mechanical effects guys, more blood. I need, no, no, more blood. Yes. More blood. <laughs> more and blood. I, remember, I remember a conversation I had once and I said, wait a minute, this blood doesn't look red. This is, this is not blood. This looks like fake. <laughs> you got to have real blood. You know, why is it looking so fake? <laughs> I do remember that though with you doing it, but I remember, remember the Hudson sprayers and they were pumping the blood. And it was like, oh, yeah. right. <laughs> right. Oh, thank you for joining us, everyone. Don't, oh, don't get us. We'll go down a whole whole other rabbit hole of. And thanks for saying such nice things about tales, because it never never gets old for either of us. We just have a really soft spot for in our careers. For, for tales and what it did for us and, and the people we met and worked with. So yeah, thanks yeah. so much. We hey, very this, this is this is this is the fan club here. There you go. Thank you for joining us, everyone. We will see you next time. The How Not to Make a Movie podcast is executive produced by me, Alan Katz, by Gil Adler, and by Jason Stein. Our artwork was done by the amazing Jody Webster, and Jason Jody, along with Mando, are all the hosts of the fun and informative Dads from the Crypt podcast, followed up for what my old pal the Crypt Keeper would have called terrific Crypt content. Yeah.